Okay, so Lord willing, I will be in Third John today, and then next week uh, I'm looking at a psalm, and then the following week we will start our uh, study of all the passages that talk about sonship, daughterhood, uh, adoption in the scriptures, and begin that, so you can continue to be praying for me as I prepare for that. I'm sure you will be encouraged as we go through God's word in these areas. It is good to see all of you today. I'm glad to be here, glad to preach the word, so let's jump in. Let's have a blast in God's word. <coughs> Friends, there is one main thing that reveals whether we are disciples of Jesus, who we are about. If we are all about ourselves, then we are lost and in need of a savior. If we are all about God and others, then we are saved and we abide in the joy of Jesus. During each day, we have hundreds of opportunities to choose ourselves or choose others. Born-again believers choose others because we know how much Jesus loved us by saving us from our sin. Today we're going to look at a little book of the Bible that reveals the clear contrast between those who are for the name and those who are out to make a name for themselves. A little background on this letter. Let's start with the author. Just like 2 John, the title Elder was a common title for the original apostles. It is a unanimous, it is unanimous by the conservative commentators that this was a title for the Apostle John, just like in Second John. We can safely assume, therefore, it is the Apostle John who is speaking, using this title, the Elder. The recipient of this letter was a man named Gaius. He will look further, we'll look further at him as we go through our study today. But ultimately, it could, there's three other times that this name is used and which, whether or not this is the same one used in the other places in the New Testament is hotly debated and I'm not going to try to figure it out because there's not a lot of evidence to determine whether or not this was true. It seems as though this name was a pretty popular name like Bob or Bill or Mike of our day. There's Gaius. So I'm not going to die on the hill of who specifically or whether he's one of the other guys in, uh, mentioned in the New Testament. We'll look at him in a little bit though. The outline, it's very simple. It's very much like Second John. Look at the outline. The introduction is found in 1 through 4. And we see the introduction to the faithful recipient, Gaius. Then there's the call to service. The gentle exhortation from John to Gaius to put his love in action and continue to walk in the truth. Then there's the contrasting testimonies. The contrasting testimonies are found in 9 through 12 where we're introduced to this evil guy, Diotrephes, and we'll talk about him in a little bit, and then the good man, Demetrius, which is probably the one who brought the letter to Gaius. The way it's worded kind of hints at that. And then the conclusion is found in verses 13 to 15. The letter's really simple. It's not a very complex thing. It's very short. I, I, I still am baffled because they say that um, Third John is shorter than Second John, but every time I count the words, there's more words in Third John than Second John. 
I don't understand that. I'm still trying to figure that one out. But maybe it was because the words were all run together and it's actually counting letters. I don't know. Maybe there's less letters, uh, alphabet, in Third John. But either way, it's a really short letter. I think we should be able to make it through today. John's purpose of the letter is to call the faithful brother Gaius to excel even more in gracious hospitality to the traveling missionaries, unlike the wicked Diotrephes, who was self-centered. So it's a call to serve and to love these traveling missionaries that were coming around. Just like we saw in 2 John, where there was a warning not to allow people into your house that are false teachers, here we see the opposite. Allow people into your house, because they were sent out for the sake of the name. So these were believers. So he says, come on in and, and show hospitality to these people. Give grace to them. So in a similar way, this letter should call all of us to excel still more in gracious hospitality and support those who are proclaiming the name of Jesus around the world and to avoid becoming self-centered like diatrophies. Let's read just a, a little bit of it. Let's go ahead and read the first half again of Third John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is, how you are walking in truth. Have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. What an amazing little book. Real quick, lots of information, lots of great application for all of us today. I hope you're going to be encouraged. Today, we're going to um, unfold this book in a little bit different way. We're going to look at the four characters that are revealed in this book. We're just going to look at each one of the main characters revealed in the book. And that will kind of give us a good snapshot of the whole thing and tell us and give us some great application. I guess I would challenge you to evaluate which of these characters are you most like. Which one would, if you were being written in here, which one of these four would you be most like? Which one of the characters do you resemble or imitate or look like? There are four characters, the elder, Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. Demetrius. We are given a clear contrast in this book of those that are loving followers of Christ with those who are evil rejectors of Jesus. So let's start with the elder. First, the elder. The elder is the Apostle John, as we've talked about in 2 John. Let's make some observations on him. First, John had authority, but he was gentle in his exhortation. We've already seen this, haven't we? In 2 John, the way he gently talked to the lady and how he exhorted her. Well, he does the same thing here in, in 3 John. And really... A lot of people compare 1 John with 
the book of James. Would everybody have, have you ever thought about that? But it's very similar. John is telling you, or First John is telling you, how you should live in light of being a Christian. This is the marks of a Christian. If you're a real Christian in First John, as you read it, you'll give it assurance. You'll be assured of your standing with God, that you'll be right with Him. So there's assurance. James does the same thing, but James just has a way of taking out the baseball bat to you. However, in 1 John, John does this in a very gracious and encouraging way. This is the way it is with most of the epistles. Whenever you read through the epistles of the New Testament, one thing that strikes me always is, is that the, the writers of the epistles are so kind and gentle and gracious and loving. They do rebukes, yes. But as a whole, they, for lack of a better term, they smack you in the face with a smile. And they make you want the smack, if that makes sense. They're very gracious and kind. That's how John is. He's very humble and gentle in his rebukes. You see this in the title. It points to John's humility. He does, John does not identify himself as John in any of his letters until the book of Revelation. All the way through the Gospel of John and through 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, he refers to himself in a couple of ways. One being in, in John chapter 20, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Again, re deflecting from himself to just say, hey, I'm a loved man. He understood the love of Jesus, that Jesus loved him, and that's how he referred to himself, the one who was loved by Jesus. He doesn't even use his name, even though he had seen all these amazing things. He keeps himself out of it. And then in 1 first, first John, he refers to himself as the one who has seen the light, the one who has seen the truth. But then here he refers in 2 and 3 John as the elder. This is a humble way. The title gently calls the reader to recognize John's authority to speak into Gaius's circumstances. It's almost like saying, I'm, I'm your older brother. I'm the older disciple. Listen up to me. It's a very kind, gentle, humble way to call these people the older lady and Gaius, to action, to step up. By this time, John was the last of the apostles alive. He could have very well just said, hey, I'm it. I'm it. I'm John, the apostle. Listen up, and when I speak, you better listen. But he didn't. He very graciously calls himself the elder and points to his sole survivor position with that title, The Elder. John was old and possibly in his 70s or 80s, yet John was still highly involved in these churches in Asia Minor, even these little house churches or these little spots where people and missionaries would travel through. He speaks with gentle authority to Gaius. And again, this isn't this the way the New Testament is written. Paul and Peter and John all have this authority, yet they... They, they speak with gentle kindness and humility in their exhortations. The only exception to that letter would be what? Anybody other than James. Galatians comes to mind. In Galatians, he comes right out and whacks him with a baseball bat. You've abandoned already? But again, I think that's because he was dealing with false teachers. 
at that point, Paul's a little bit more direct. As a whole, Paul is always gracious, even in the book in Colossians. What happens with Paul? He writes to people that he's never met before, but it seems it drips with kindness and love. Beloved, we can learn a lot from these writers, can't we? We can see that the way we should talk, if we have a position of authority, should be what? Humble, gentle, kind. It's important to note, authority does not give license to be harsh or mean with those who God places under you. Anyone placed in a position of authority by God knows how God has been gentle to them during their walk to, with God, right? All of us that have any kind of authority at all must understand that God has been so kind and gentle to us, right? So when we deal with his sheep, how do we deal with them? Compassion, gentle, grace. When you read these letters, 2nd and 3rd John, you're not offended for Gaius, are you? I mean, he's calling him. He's exhorting him to do other things. He's just encouraged to do it. All too often, we think that just a slap across the face will get somebody to do something. Not literally, but verbally, right? When the best way to get people to do things is to encourage them in what God's already doing in their life and then call them, come on, you can do this. Let's do it. Let's be fellow workers together. That's what he does in 3 John. Are you an encourager, beloved? For those that are underneath you in your position of authority, I can't tell you how many times I hear people say who are in leadership, well, I am a direct person. That's my personality. You know what that is? That's an excuse for sin. <gasps> really? Listen to me. If you were raised or your personality is being direct and harsh, you know what that is? You were raised wrong. You should be gentle and kind. Why? Because God was gentle and kind to us. Right? I love the Bible, don't you? I love reading the New Testament letters. Why? Because the, it kindly and gently exhorts me to do what's right. I don't, oh, here comes my beating again. My verbal assault. No, I love the word, don't you? Do people love to be rebuked by you? And if they don't, is it possible that your approach is wrong? Maybe it doesn't sound like 3 John or 2 John or 1 John. Beloved, we need to listen and heed these messages. Look at the tenor of these letters and then apply them to the way we should live. People that are in authority over God's sheep don't beat the sheep. They love the sheep. They encourage the sheep. We see this in the epistle, the compassion, the merciful heart of the elder John. Notice also John was an encourager. John is all about building up the brethren. Notice in our letter, four times he calls him the beloved. 
He calls him the beloved. That is, the one loved by God. He expresses his love for Gaius. He acknowledges God's grace in Gaius' life. He says, as your soul prospers, walking in the truth, in verses 2 and 3. He calls him his child in verse 4. My child, my children, or he calls them my children, verse 4. Yet John, in a kind way, calls Gaius to excel, excel still more in providing for the missionaries. In verse 6, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So do this and do even more. So he does call them to action. And later in the letter, John kindly exhorts Gaius to imitate those who do good over those who do evil. John strikes a balance that's very rare. And this is, I admit, only by the Holy Spirit can you do this kind of exhortation. That exhortation that is both kind and truth. Gracious and direct. He can say it and say it with a smile, with gentleness. We all need to dwell in the word more so we will act like the word more. We will be the truth. We'll live the truth. Just like he talks about Gaius doing it. As we meditate on Christ and who he is and what he's done and how he lives found in scripture, we'll then act like that. We'll live that way. John expresses his desire in verse 14 to see him in person. And he closes with a blessing and a, and a greeting in verse 15. Beloved, these two are, there are two types of leaders in this world. The worldly leaders who seek to control people. They use manipulation and insults and threats. We see lots of those, don't we? And then there's the Christ-like leaders who seek to serve people. They listen. They encourage. They bear each other's burdens whom they are serving. They bear those that they're serving's burdens. They hurt for their people. They are sacrificially committed to those they are in charge of. This is biblical leadership. You see it in John, don't you? He's a totally different man than the world. John the Elder led in love because he knew the encouraging love of the Savior. Oh, we need to know that love more, don't we? I think our problem is, is that we have just a small understanding of God's love. The more we understand His love, the more gracious and kind we're going to be to people. They will love us. They will see that we love them. Notice also John's prayer was properly focused. In verse 2 it states, Beloved, I pray that all, in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. Just as your soul prospers. Now, at this point, all the prosperity gospel people uh, out there would say, Man, this guy just prayed for his prosperity. He's a prosperity preacher. <clears throat> at first glance, we might think that this might be a call to pray for prosperity. I want you to know that I am praying for your prosperity, Grace Bible Church. I am praying for your prosperity. After studying this again, I'm beginning to pray for your prosperity more. You're saying, all right. My pastor has become a prosperity preacher. Now, at this point, you might think, well, you know, he's just talking about, let's just be real spiritual. He's only talking about spiritual prosperity, right? He's only talking about spiritual prosperity. 
Well, beloved, I don't think so. You know why? Because it says, just as your soul prospers. That's the spiritual side of it. He's literally praying for their prosperity, praying for Gaius' prosperity. He wants Gaius to be prosperous. <gasps> no! You've preached against this a million times, Pastor Mike. How in the world can you now say that we should pray for each other's prosperity and health? Well, everybody in here says, yeah, we should pray for our health, right? Is that talking about physical health? Everybody in the room says, yeah. Okay, so you're sticking with physical health. Why not prosperity of finances? Beloved, guess what? I'm going to shock you here. He prayed for their financial well-being. He prayed for Gaius' business to flourish, for lack of a better term, for it to prosper. But the key is, why? Why? I, I heard my brother just got a new job. I'm thankful. And it pays pretty good. Not great, but it's better. That was an answer to prayer. Why? Well, because he can give. <laughs> he can give to the kingdom. He can help people more. Beloved, that's what this is all about. When he says this, he's got the missionaries in mind, doesn't he? And he says, send them off from you. What's his point there? With more than just a greeting. Hey, good job. Hey, I'm glad you stayed over at my house. Glad to feed you. See you later. No, his point in that section is to send them off with money. Send them off that they can take care of themselves and not be a burden on any unbeliever that they come to. That they don't need to ask for any money. Beloved, I want your businesses to prosper. And I'm praying for it. But not so that you will get rich and be happy with money, but that your money will come in so that you can then give. We need to support more missionaries. What do you think? We need to help the gospel to be proclaimed around the world. That's what this is about. It appears that Gaius was rather well off. People would come stay with him, even strangers. And he would support them and let them stay in their house. That's a gift of hospitality, but it's also a gift of what? Finances. It's not cheap to have people come stay in your house, is it? Friends, I think we need to understand that if we have the name of Christ in view, we will see things like this. It's okay to pray for somebody to have a decent job so that they can then turn around and support. You know, this. we found out this week we've got to pay $75 more to, to get the yard mowed next door. I hate that. There's something wrong with that, that we have to pay for their yard to be mowed so we can park in their place. What's the point? I think well, there's needs. It's always needs. Daniel and Stephanie want to go to the mission field. Stand up, Daniel. <laughs> this guy, this guy wants to go. To, this guy wants to come go to Camp Victory full time. He needs to raise money. Man, if you're prospering, I'm praying for your job to do well. Help them out. They're going to go help kids. Share the gospel. Same thing with Brian and Caroline and. 
right? This is exactly what he's talking here. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. Just as your soul prospers. He already knows his soul is prospering. I guarantee you he's praying for that too, right? Folks, you pray these ways. These are very practical things. We need to pray more like this, don't we? The enemy gives money to the world all the time to promote their ways. Let's pray for God to work, right? Fourth, notice John's joy was found in, in the right places. In two, verse 2 and 4. He says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than this. To hear of my children walking in the truth. This is where true joy is found for the minister. For those that are making disciples. Isn't this what makes us really joyful? I don't know about you, but this is one of the greatest joys in all my life. And it's exactly what Paul's talking about. To see people walking in the truth. To see them enjoying Christ. To walk in the Word. To know it, enjoy it. That's what it's all about, right? That's where our joy is found. John's joy is in the right places. Again, it's not in money. It's not in prosperity. It's in people walking in the truth. Knowing God's Word and applying God's Word and living God's Word. Beloved, this is where our joy should be too, right? I want to be just like the elder. What about you? I want to pray like him. I want to think like him. I want to serve like him. I want to be just like this guy. Where's your greatest joy found? Is it found in others succeeding and walking in the truth? Or is it found in your success, your glory, your name being exalted? So let's look at the next character, Gaius. Let's make some observations on him. First, Gaius was obviously loved by God. We already saw that. He's mentioned four times in verse 1, 2, 5, and 11 that he is beloved. Often being loved comes when someone makes it easy to love. We'd all agree with that. In this case, being lovable is possible because Gaius is born again. God first loved him before the foundation of the world and then gave him a new heart. And so now he's loving and serving other people and he is definitely loved by his father. Second, Gaius showed evidence of a converted heart. You see this in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And again, John states Gaius' soul prospers. This is literally as your soul is being caused to prosper. The idea is, is that God is working in Gaius. God is making his soul enjoy God, delight in God, and serve God. God is working, his grace is evident. And we know from 1 John that John knew that this was a very key element, right? If somebody walks in the truth, if they live a certain way, then it shows that they are children of God. And they're born of God. All of these things John knew about Gaius because his life resembled his heart change and reflected the grace of God that was working in him. And so the obvious question for all of us is real simple. At this point, does your life match what's happened to you? Do you look like children of God? 
Do we act like this? Do we look like a Gaius? Would somebody say that about you? Yep, that guy, that lady, they look like they're born of God. Their soul is prospering. God is working in them to cause them to look like Christ. Third, notice Gaius received testimonies of his living in the truth from the brethren. Verse 3, it says, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is, how you were walking in truth. We saw in Second John, John, truth is associated with biblical love. We talked about this last week, and you get it. Here, truth was also tied to love. And we can say Gaius was a man of the truth, a man of the gospel. This obviously was on display in his actions, and people noticed it. As we walk or live in the truth, it will not go unnoticed. People will see it. I don't know about you guys, but we can all get a little tired of doing good at various times. Our flesh can begin to take a hold of us, and we, begin, we can begin to think, oh, i got to go serve that person again. Our flesh can go there, can it? All mothers with toddlers say, amen. They know. They know their hearts, right? By the way, we all, as having children does that to us, it, it, re- it reveals just how fleshly we really are. But we can begin to think things like, we do these things, yet no one ever notices, or it makes no difference. Beloved, this is a thought that must be put to death. We must kill that thought. We must not be all about being noticed. However, as we're noticed, or as we're doing these things, it will be noticed as time goes along. Ultimately, it will be noticed by who? God. God sees everything. We must be all about the truth of the gospel. This is, just, this is not just when we are giving the gospel to people, but it's also when we are just speaking to friends and family members. Whenever we're talking to co-workers, and I'm not talking about always bringing up a four-point gospel presentation. Do you understand? Sometimes it's just being quiet. Sometimes it's just serving somebody that's mean to you. I think of some of you that have jobs that you're in the world and you're dealing with people that are in the world and you know that if you brought up the name of Jesus, you'd immediately get blasted. Well, well, sometimes, and listen to me closely, sometimes just being gracious and kind can be your demonstration. And somebody will then ask, they will say, why are you kind to me? Or they'll request you. I'll, 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 I, we have a lady over at Cracker Barrel. I'll, one day I'm praying she'll show up. We request her every time we go to Cracker Barrel, almost, especially the guys when we go. Why? Because she's so nice. She's kind. She's attentive. Beloved, people notice when the gospel has transformed your heart because you act like it. This is what Gaius is all about. The gospel-centered life makes us do things for others and put others above ourselves. We must do it not to be noticed, but the natural effect will be, will be noticed. But because our life in Christ, we will remember it is only because of the grace 
of God that helps us to do it. If we live the truth, we will stand out in this corrupt world. Everybody agrees, right? It's obvious. Gaius also demonstrated faithfulness in his ministry to the brethren. Look at verse 5. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. Now again, I don't think at this point he's saying strangers, any false teacher that walks up. He's talking about strangers that were out for the name of the gospel. So what do we have here? We have a guy that opened his house to people he didn't know because they were about the gospel and he just wanted to love them. I don't know about you guys, but this should be extremely convicting for all of us in the room. Because hospitality is easy. Who do we like to show hospitality to? Nice people, people that we know very well, correct? We're really afraid to show hospitality that somebody could maybe steal something from us. We're always on guard. This is Grace Bible Church, unfortunately. At times, I preach you messages about false teachers because the passages say it. And we pendle them to the other side, which is what? Watch out, everybody's a false teacher. And we're calling out everybody. And we show no hospitality to anybody that's a stranger. Why? Because they might be a false teacher. They're a stranger. Well, I don't have enough word about them. Oh, beloved, will you please listen to me? I think we need to be very careful. I think God will give us wisdom. And I do think we need to be much more gracious. We shouldn't be known as those that rebuke everybody we see. Yes? We should be people of hospitality and grace and kindness. No, we don't participate in false teaching. And yes, there's a lot of false teaching out there. But we must be careful. We must be people that share lay down our lives for others. Gaius was about faithfully loving the brethren in action. He helped the brethren who appear to be a part of a missionary group sent out by John. Gaius ministers to the unknown brethren. This demonstrates a high level of commitment to the truth. Again, we can all show ourselves showing love to those we know, but what about those we don't? I think this is a great test of our genuine Christian and, and whether we're genuine or not. Whether we're loving to those that love Christ even if we don't know them completely. I hear this, by the way, and now I'm going to get off on a tangent just a little bit hang in there. I hear that there's still, even in our church, a tendency to be very cliquish. We can still be cliquish. Do you understand what I mean by cliquish? You go to the people that are kind of easiest to talk to. Beloved, everybody in this room that is a believer in Jesus, and I would assume most of you are believers in Jesus, means that you need to go past what the click says. You need to step outside of that. You need to show hospitality to each other, right? If he's allowing strangers to come into his house, we're not strangers, <laughs> I think we ought to start with ourselves. What do you think? Let's be gracious to one another. Now remember, this is balanced with 2 John that tells us what? Don't participate in evil. 
is what the Bible does. It, it, it slaps you on both sides of your cheek. <laughs> you come in last week, everybody in the room said, okay, I'm not going to participate in evil. Got it! This week, oh, okay, I'm going to show hospitality to people and allow them into my house and be more gracious. Do you get it? This is how the Bible is, isn't it? Yet John does it, and we all say, thank you. Another, please. Gaius here demonstrated his love in the presence of the church. The church saw it. They knew what he's about. Look, verse 6. And they have testified to your love before the church. They've told the church, look, this guy is it. Got it. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. What's that? Again, that's sending those disciples out, sending those missionaries out and supporting them, giving them some help to make the next leg of the journey. Obviously, the body of believers Gaius was a part of had witnessed his sacrificial love, and these missionaries that have already come through there knew it and told others. How would people describe you, beloved? What would the word of God say about you? Now on to that third character. Now this is the character everybody in the room better avoid. We don't want to be this next guy. Diotrephes is, whew, there are people in the Bible that you don't want, if you ever name your child Diotrephes, <laughs> not good, not good, not good. Listen, we can, we can name our child Jacob, some of you might be Jacob in here, and come to realize what it means, but then know, well, Jacob did get things right. But Diotrephes doesn't appear to ever get it right. This is a guy, this would be like naming your daughter Jezebel. <laughs> Notice it states, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes does not accept that what we say. The way this is worded is in stark contrast uh, with the previous and how the apostle should be responded to correctly. Obviously, we can know a lot about a person by the way they respond to authority. Now, I want you to listen to me closely. Mark this. Understand this. This is a very important point. You can know a lot about your heart by how you respond to those who tell you what to do. Is that not true? Specifically, how a person responds to the authorities God has placed over them. If they are always undermining the authority over them, there is a real problem. You could find yourself being a diatrophies. Ultimately, God's word is authoritative. And so how a person responds to God's word also shows a lot about their heart. Now, listen to me, parents. I want you to understand, don't use that to beat your children. Do you understand? I'm not saying, I'm not giving us license. I'm preaching to myself here, too. Well, God made me your parent. Listen to me. Now, there is an appeal to that, but be careful of using it as a beat stick. At the same time, children, this is your spot. Listen to me closely. All eyes are up here. I see children. The way you respond to the authority that your parents have does reveal a lot about your heart. 
Serving people in authority above you is not a bad thing. It's a blessing. Aren't you glad your parents obey the laws of the land instead of beating you? Does everybody understand? Some of you say, well, they do spank me. That's different than beating you. Beloved, how we respond to the word of God, the authorities placed above us, shows our heart, doesn't it? Notice he did not accept what John said. Again, this is a failure to respond to appropriately to authority. But this failure to receive John's word ultimately showed a failure to submit to who? God. Just as disobedience to parents shows a rebellious intention against God, our failure to obey and work hard for our employers shows a rebellion towards God. Do you understand? Those that employ us, that we are working for, if we work for them, we should be known as the hardest workers, right? Because we're submitting to their authority. We should all be winning best employee of the month. Not because you always said kind things to your boss and went away and didn't do anything, but because you were the hardest worker, the most responsible, the one who was on time, right? That's submitting to the authorities. It shows a lot about our heart. But notice Diotrephes has a major problem with self-love. As scary as this sounds, our culture celebrates and makes heroes out of the, di- di- the diatrophies of our world. Doesn't our culture do that? Anybody that has a high self-image, what do we say? That's a winner. <laughs> when we have a, a basketball player that has on his back chosen one, we say, now that guy has a self-image, man. He's king. Diatrophies had a high self-image. Self-esteem was not a problem with him. This passage could literally be translated, who loves to be first among them. The one who is loving continuously to be first among them. If you underline a little phrase, that one right there, who loves to be first among them, circle it, circle it. Put over to the side and say, I never want to be this. Because this, folks, is a scary place to be. Hebert describes uh, Diotrephes, a commentator, well. He says, he is an ambitious, self-seeking, power-hungry individual who aggressively sought to be at the head of things and to rule over others. Boy, that sounds like a lot of people we know in the world, doesn't it? Everyone has an opinion on what makes a great leader. I'll tell you, I have heard this and heard this and heard this in these whole election thing. Oh, my. People talking to me and telling me what is a great leader. But Scripture makes it clear what a great leader is. They look like Jesus. That's what a great leader looks like. Everybody else, that's how the world runs things. I agree. But beloved, 
Leaders that are biblical leaders look more like Christ than diatrophies. A great leader is not someone who wants to be first all the time. A great leader is not someone who is always seeking to elevate themselves. It is actually a person who seeks to serve first. Diotrephes needed a good dose of humble pie, didn't he? He may have even been holding a position of authority. It appears that he probably did. He might have been ahead. And the way this is worded is, is he had a house, a church maybe. He was leading the house church. And when those strangers, Christians came to his house, he had no part with them. I ain't, we're not hosting them. And so he has this idea of position of authority, but he was leading from a position of pride, beloved. Prideful leaders are what destroy bodies and congregations. There are way, way, way too many diatrophies around today in churches. Will we not agree? The excellent Southern Baptist commentator way back in the day, A.T. Robertson, describes very well a personal story of how he dealt with while writing an article on diatrophies, what happened with him. He said, quote, Some 40 years ago, I wrote an article on diatrophies for a denominational paper. The editor told me that 25 deacons stopped the paper to show their resentment against being personally attacked in the paper. Hmm. They didn't even mention him by name, but the conviction was so great, right? How many times have we seen this, beloved? Churches destroyed because one guy gets it in his mind that things must go his way. And by the way, that goes from the top down. It can be pastors, too. And some of you in the room say, Amen. You've seen it. God, I pray that I'll never be that. And when I do, I'm quick to repent. Trust me, it is not a, this position is a scary position. Very scary. You need to pray for your pastor. Ultimately, Diotrephes had a major problem, and it was a heart problem. It was all about Diotrephes. So who are you about? Well, I'm not about diatrophies. <laughs> yeah, but are you about yourself? Diatrophies action reveal his evil heart. Look at verse 10. No one would ever want God's word to, be, to describe our life this way. It says, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. Man, evil words. This is evidence, folks. A humble servant does not run down his foe. Mark that. Understand. When somebody tells you to do something and you don't like it, you don't run them down to win the argument. You say, well, I don't do it to them in public. Is it not the same thing if you're at home contemplating in your heart just how much they're wrong? Just because you have just a little bit of conscience that keeps you from saying it, it's still evil and it's hatched in your heart. 
self-absorbed egomaniac will destroy verbally anyone who gets in their way. You understand me? This was the case for Diotrephes. Prideful, self-absorbed people will slip in and try to rule God's sheep. And you know how it will be presented? Man, that guy has a lot of confidence. Well, look at him. Man, he walks with his shoulders back like he knows what he's doing. You know what you should do with those kind? Run! Run! In my 20 years of ministry, I have seen numerous pastors run off by men who wanted things run their way instead of God's way. I've also seen some pastors who ran their churches like they were the ultimate king of the church. And that's a problem too. Every one of us in the room needs to understand we are all diatrophies bound up in our flesh. We have that propensity still. And if you don't think you have that propensity still in your flesh, you are vulnerable. Matter of fact, you probably are diatrophies. You hear me? Who's the greatest sinner in the room? Beloved, you want to know what your heart's all about? How we talk about people behind closed doors. What's going on in your hearts? What are you thinking? Is anybody else slayed by this time? I'm gone. Passage has got me. Devouring others with our words in private often exposes our hearts that think we're better than other people. If you run down others in your mind, then you probably have a much better view of yourself than you should. Notice, and not satisfied with this, Diotrephes does not receive the brethren, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. At the end of the day, what do we see? He doesn't love. He doesn't give. He doesn't care for others. Two places you can see. Two places you can see what your heart's about. How you think about other people when the doors are closed and your pocketbook, your wallet. Oh no, now he's really going in. He's going to talk about money. Pastor Mike never talks about money. Beloved, I've said this, and my wife tells me every time I say it, don't say that. I don't want your money, but I do want your heart. I want you to love Christ so much that all that you own is his, and to give it away is nothing. Because that's where your joy is found, beloved. Otherwise, you will be miserable like Diotrephes. 
He didn't receive them. He didn't want to give anything. Put them out. And then he puts out people from the church, it appears. He excommunicated people that were what? Wanting to be living. There's something strange here. That's backwards, isn't it? Who do we run down? We run down those kind people, then we look like diatrophies. You know why? You know why we throw out the people that are kind in our, in our flesh? Not literally. Because we're jealous. We look at other people that are given and we say, oh, they're given just to be liked. You haven't said that, have you? It's painful, isn't it? Isn't this truth? Oh, beloved, take, take, take a very important lesson here. Very important lesson. What you do with your money reveals whose name you are all about. Again, as we have seen, a lack of love for the brethren reveals a wicked heart. Man, I'm over. This is good, though, isn't it? Let's close with Demetrius. 3 John 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. Why? Because Demetrius received a good testimony from everybody. Everybody saw it. And Demetrius received a good testimony from the truth. He was walking it. And the truth verified that he was about the truth. As opposed to Diotrephes, Demetrius was real. Demetrius received a good testimony from the apostle himself. Well, that, that's a fine statement. And I don't know about you, but if the apostle John said, this guy is for real, he walks in the truth, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? The opinion of those that walk in truth really does matter, doesn't it? So we conclude by going back to the exhortation John gives to Gaius in verse 11. Look at it. We'll conclude with this. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good, worthy of praise. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Don't be like Diotrephes. Be like Demetrius. Lay down your life for others. So who are you most like, beloved? The elder, John, who is kind and gentle and encourages others with the truth. Gaius, the, th the faithful Christian who walks in the truth and loves the brethren by giving sacrificially to them. Diatrophies. The self-absorbed, self-loving, self-promoting, power-hungry problem person. Or how about Demetrius? The one who has many who will testify for him, including the very truth of God confirms him. Now, when we close with this, listen. There's a little trap in these questions I just asked you. Who are you most like? There's a trap. If we are not careful, we can all be about making a name for ourselves. I want to be known as a Gaius. 
I want to be known as a Demetrius. I want to be known as like the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John or I want to be like that. But listen to me. There's a trap if you start thinking that way. There's a huge trap. Because, beloved, this is not the purpose of the message. The goal is to call us to look and to love and to pursue Christ. Call you to see your failures. Everybody in here says, I've messed up, right? Call you to see what you want to become and then run to Him for the grace to accomplish it. And here's the key. We don't want to be actors, right? We don't want to be fake. I don't want everybody this week to line up and say, okay, I'm going to invite five people over to my house. Just for the sake of what? Making a name of yourself. Oh, I look like Gareth. Don't want you to be fake. Don't want you to be an actor. Here's the solution. Listen to me. It's found in this passage. Make a name for Christ. Be like the missionaries who went out for the sake of the name. For when we are about Christ, then we are not about ourselves. This is my prayer for you. That you will make much of Jesus Christ, not yourself. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God, a good Father. What a passage. I don't think any of us in the room can look at a passage like this and not be completely brought to our knees, fully recognizing our total, utter need of you. Oh, please, Father, prosper our souls. Oh, God, give us the souls that love you. Help us, Father, to be about your name, not our name. Help us to avoid being the diatrophies of this world. Help us, God, to love you, to exalt you, to enjoy you, to proclaim you for you we need you please God help Grace Bible Church be a church that is about exalting the name of Jesus Christ we pray this in his name